every once in a while I go through this thing where I'm checking stats every day. And then I yeah. just say, meh. I have found that when you post stuff, your stats go up. And when you don't post stuff, they go down. I I noticed that too. And, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. When all is ready, I throw this switch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Collected Edition comic book podcast, where we discuss the famous, infamous runs and story arcs throughout the history of comics. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and with me as always, Brian Reese. Hey, Paul. Today on the program, we'll be discussing Invincible, the inspirational story of a plucky bartender who gets to live his dream by playing football for the Philadelphia Eagles. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that's not right. (laughs) We, of course, will be talking about Invincible, the comic book written by Robert Kirkman with art by Corey Walker. And Ryan Otley. Yes, I forgot to say that. Uh, But first, as is typical for this show, we're going to dive deep into something we know little to nothing about. (laughs) Oh, but but this one's really a special topic. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go way off. Recently, there's been uh, a lot of talk about non-fungible tokens which to me sounds more, like an, <laughs> I know, sounds more like an insult than a form of property, but... Or something uh, you need to take a medication for. Oh, yeah. Or, or at least an ointment. But this has brought up some... A topical cons- cream. A topical cream. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I got some non-fungible tokens. <laughs> Get me a shot of penicillin. Uh, anywho, this has brought up some uh, concerns over uh, ownership rights. Now, Brian... How much do you know oh. about non-fungible tokens? Nothing. Okay. Okay. So, well, not not nothing, but it's, you know, trying to read up on it, uh, you know, boy, howdy, that's a deep dive. It is. It is. And I can't say that I am an and there's expert. There's a lot of words I don't know. <laughs> I cannot say that I'm an expert in any way, but I do have the basic understanding. Uh, so real quick, a brief overview of non-fungible tokens, NFT or NIFT. <laughs> a non-fungible <Nifty>. token. <laughs> yes, a nifty. A non-fungible token is a unit of data on a blockchain digital ledger. That ah, yeah. Well, that clears it all up. Exactly. No penicillin needed. Yes. No, so no, what that means is that it's a digital file, and the original data can be tracked and identified. Um, basically, it's like a signed. If it's in the case of like an art, a piece of art, it's digitally signed. So while the digital file can be copied, the original source can be verified. And basically, you're buying and owning a digital version of an original piece of art or a song or something like that. So NFTs are sold in auctions using Bitcoin Bitcoin and huh, Ethereum currencies. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> if you need a better example that money is an illusion, all you need to do is look at its Ethereum price index. It's a literal ethereal value. So we're not even pretending anymore. Money is a collective dream. It's not real. And capitalism is a lie. But in the world of comic books, this has brought up uh, issues of ownership. And it is my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, that when you sell a non-fungible token, the artist retains the copyright. So they still can, they still technically own the work or they still make money off of the work, even though someone else owns it. I might be getting in the weeds here. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that uh, 
Ugh. well, maybe I'm yeah. not sure. So the, the artist still owns the work in principle, but the digital ownership, the digital imprint, the digital signature is owned by this another person. Yes. Yes. All right, am I close no, here? No, yes. My, my yeah, again, my understanding and, and people please write in and tell us how wrong we are. But my <laughs> my understanding We're basically is basically using this as a jumping off point anyway, but uh, Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh so my understanding is that it's similar to if someone creates an original piece of art, you can sell that original piece to someone else. However, you can still sell prints of it. Okay. Does that make, does that make sense? So oh, you, can, well, you can still okay, sell. So no, no, that makes sense. You could sell a print. You can sell a digital copy or use a digital but not copy the for original, promotion. Right. But the okay. original this, actual piece is is digitally certified. Okay. So okay. this is sort of like if someone owned like a. I don't know who. I'm showing my ignorance here. I don't know who. I don't know which museum or what have you currently has say Starry Night. I believe. I don't. I, 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 I believe I, that's in Chicago, isn't it? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I could be wrong. I know they, I know there's a Van Gogh section of. Uh, I'm sorry, Van yeah, Gogh. Uh, Van, <laughs> Van Gogh <laughs> section in the Chicago Museum. Yes. Yeah. Um. So okay, but does so? I'm not even sure that the museum owns outright the piece, or if it is on loan. You know, I mean, art's yeah, no. weird. Right? Yeah, you see, so, yeah, you you get that all the time. Like this has right. this piece is on loan from the so and so collection. From, yeah. Yeah. So you, I'm just using Starry Night as an example because uh, everybody knows that one. Somebody owns that painting outright, whether it be the the museum or a wealthy donor who is uh, allowing the museum to display it. Now the museum can turn around and sell you all kinds of different Starry Night merchandise with the picture on it. Exactly. Or Right. So you could have, you know, a Starry Night t-shirt or a starry night face mask or a starry night pair of slippers yeah i could buy a starry night poster and put it up in my dorm room right with ideally with a black light <laughs> exactly so yeah so that's so that's all well and good for a a work of fine art or illustration or, or a song or something like that but when we get into comic book characters it's a little tricky uh and this is a problem that we've seen since the inception of of the medium uh, it's just now brought into a digital form. Who owns what and who gets compensated? So that's what we're going to talk about today is uh, problems of ownership. And and that's not even counting some of the ethical issues of apparently, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I've read is that creating this piece uses uh, the amount of electricity or energy consumption that is used by, you know, a city block over a, over a month. Or, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, I think, but I think it's only a little bit. I know you're not far off from what you're saying, but I can't, you know, I don't know. I'm not know. presenting that as fact but yeah. before anybody yeah. tries to at us. No, Brian, this is the internet. You must present everything as a, as a fact. Don't actually me. Yeah. So anyway, you know, Recently, a leaked statement from DC was 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 uh, released. Basically, it was it's a statement to the creators saying essentially, "Don't do this, and if you do, we're coming after you." Right. Again, that's a that's a paraphrase there. Uh, I haven't seen anything from Marvel officially, but I can uh, no doubt there's something in the works. 
yeah. if not already in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- Marvel doesn't have a very good record on compensating their creators. Yeah, Marvel's not going to be the shiny knight in this equation. Yeah, yeah. If they know, didn't um, want to pay Jack Kirby, they're not going to do anything. Yeah, people could jump on DC on the matter all they want, but uh, I guarantee you Marvel, Marvel ain't no better. Well, you know, again, we have evidence of DC, but yeah, right. you, can, you can pretty much guarantee Corporations. Make it an educated guess. Yeah. Okay. So I've been doing a lot of talking. Brian, what are your, I think I'm, I'm, I'm trying to phrase this in a certain way, but I think we can both say that we're both uh, artist centric. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure I can speak for you on that. Correct. We're, we're pro creator. Yes. 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 As a uh, general rule, uh, understanding the nature of the business and the nature of contracts and the nature of work for hire, uh, right? Yeah. you know, all of that gets very tricky. And of course, I've had my own sort of stance on Alan Moore and the Watchmen that differs from a lot from of me. Other- yeah, from, from you and from me. Another, We've already gone through this. I'm not going down that street again. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I was bringing that up as a, as an example of yeah. you know I I do understand exceptions to the rule, and I do understand that there are times in which bad contracts are signed as well. So, well, I, here, okay. So I understand that it gets. I understand that in certain instances it gets trickier. And I have um, okay. So I, as a current example, there's a new Falcon and Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. series that just aired on the first as at this recording the first episode just aired the creator of the winter soldier ed brubaker has he's voiced his displeasure while at the same time not it's a very interesting <laughs> statement he put out it is he's trying to be equivocable while also expressing what i think a lot of creators yeah. feel he's, when they see their he's being very diplomatic for sure and uh, I just want to point out, I'm not taking a stand on this. I have my opinions, but for the moment, let's just look at this objectively from a distance. So the character of Bucky Barnes was created by Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. Brubaker and Epting took that character and created the Winter Soldier based on Bucky. So is the, is the Winter Soldier a new original character or did they just uh, sort of embellish an existing character from someone else. You know, that's, this This is where the tricky nature gets in. Yeah. And this isn't keeping, this does tie into our intro talking about the, the fungibles, which is my favorite superhero team. <laughs> the non-fungibles. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so the, the question, I mean, it's, it, it, again, this is the tricky part. Is the Winter Soldier Bucky Barnes yes well yes. Un- until it <laughs> until it becomes not bucky barnes and we find out he's really the phoenix wow you really you, this is like the every, third episode in a row you've made a phoenix force or a, you know, everybody phoenix gets to be the, everybody gets to be the phoenix eventually but uh well maybe you know it's going to turn out that he's the hulk because everyone's been a hulk at some point everyone's so. been a hulk right so yeah. or bucky it's not bucky barnes it's the phoenix hulk He's been a scroll all along. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, again, and I don't think we're expressing in opinion, we're expressing some various opinions on the matter. And, and we certainly aren't legally qualified to uh, make a judgment on the matter. But it is a legit question is, does Ed Brubaker have some 
and, and Steve Epstein, do they have some right to the Winter Soldier as a character separate from Bucky Barnes as a character? And at the end of the day, do they really, even if you separate Bucky Barnes from the Winter Soldier, was it work for hire and therefore contractually owned by Marvel and Marvel doesn't have to do bupkis? Exactly. And that's where this is incredibly complicated. Yeah. And so, that's what leads back into the art is does DC really own the original artwork for a comic book? Well, take it a step further. If someone else draws a picture of Superman, mm-hmm. do they own that or does DC own it since they own the intellectual property of Superman? And I think it depends. Um, if someone draws it and gives it away, that's one thing. If someone draws it and then makes money on it. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, you go to conventions and you can go up to to a creator and say, hey, could you draw me a picture of Spider-Man? And he he, he or she will. And then you pay for it. You give it. them 50 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever yeah. they're charging. Exactly. So, you know, a profit has been made. Unless yeah. it's just a donation at that point. Well, it, 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 that's that's where you get oh it's a it's a donation to the yeah. artist you know pen fund. It's, it's um, an escort service all of a sudden. It's <laughs> right. We're, we're, you're paying for the date. The sex is uh, you know optional at the end. And, yeah, and up just I'm just giving the, you, I'm just giving uh, you a tip. The By the way, I know nothing about this. Right, right me neither. <laughs> yeah, uh, I right. don't know this from personal experience. A friend told us about this. Yes. I read it uh, on the internet. <laughs> Impossibility this all gets cut. <laughs> oh, that, that'd be too bad. Um, but, uh, but seriously, it's, it's a really, you know, the, this non-fungible thing really kind of brings out the, the question of, I want to say it's a little stronger with the visual artist even more than the writer. Because I oh, think... Yeah. You know, writers obviously are creating characters, but the artist is creating the visuals. You know, the, the the writer the writer doesn't. Maybe some writer does this, but how often do you have someone uh, going up to? Let's use Ed Brubaker because we love Ed Brubaker and here and you know, so we're not doing this pejoratively. But um, you know, would you go up to Ed Brubaker at a convention and ask him to write you a short story? But you would ask uh, the artist to do a sketch. Exactly. So, yeah. So I do think it actually, it benefits. I'd kind of like to ask Ed Brubaker to, yeah. <laughs> to write, write me a short story. Well, you know, I, you know. Now that I think about it, you know, it's like, what, what's your going rate for a signature? Okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, I'll give you a hundred bucks to write me a paragraph long story while we're here. Could you write me a winter soldier haiku? And put it in digital form. Yeah, yeah it, no, it's. I mean, the 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 NFT thing is just sort of the most recent iteration of of this whole confusion. Right. Who owns the rights? And when you work for a company, you know, you do sign a contract, but at the same time, it's a creative it's a creative medium. So when you're creating new characters or offshoots of characters, you should be able to get compensated for that work. And we've seen estates, you know, Siegel Schuster, uh, you know, we, we've seen estates and, and the Kirby estate and exactly. various other states who have argued successfully in some cases for compensation 
Now, some of these are contracts going back to those were also essentially what was slave labor for. Uh, those were not, also the original characters. Now there have right. been work, you know, work for hire creators who have done things with those original characters, and that's what gets that's what makes something like the Winter Soldier a bit on the complicated thing because the Winter Soldier is technically Bucky Barnes, which was not created by Brubaker, but for all intent and purpose, the Winter Soldier is a new character. And the interpretation of Bucky Barnes is unique to Ed Brubaker. But it's but it's a very fine line, and it's I, I don't have all the answers. We're not I, really I, trying to answer the question. If, oh, any, no. if, if anybody is waiting for like a pithy conclusion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't listen to this show for pithy conclusions, friends. <laughs> or pithy. Yeah. <laughs> we we raise questions and then walk away. That's what we yeah. do. It's our it's our thing. No, but it is something really it's really intriguing to think about because I, mean, I think it's also what makes it even more complicated is the amount of money we're talking about. Oh yeah. There's thousands and thousands of dollars that these things are selling for. Yeah. And but, sometimes much more. I mean, there was something, the first I heard about this really was like a couple weeks ago when some piece, now it wasn't a, it wasn't comic book art. I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, everybody, but I didn't read that closely until it started becoming about comics, but some piece sold for like 70 million. Yeah. But it's 70 like million, you know, E dollars. <laughs> you know, they're like camel bucks. Yeah. It's the, um, uh, the ethereal. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, start ethereal. referring to all of this as camel bucks. Yeah. But doesn't Ethereum, Ethereum <laughs> currency. That's, that's freaking Star Trek crap. I'll pay you an Ethereum bucks and 20 bars of latinum. <laughs> I knew uh, the furry here were involved somehow. That's right. Yes. Quark. It just goes Quark. to show that, that none was a of mix this... Kirk and Quark. Sorry. Uh, go on. <laughs> I've been conned. <laughs> if only Con and Med Quark. There you go. That's our next series. Con and Quark. Go on adventures. <laughs> the non-fungibles. <laughs> the non-fungibles. <laughs> They, they form a team called the non-fungibles. Uh, but back to the point. And again, I mean, we're probably, uh, well, you're probably getting this right. I'm probably seriously misrepresenting things. No, I, but, think, uh, I, I, I think that I think where we both fall is that it's so, it's such a complicated issue. Where do we go? And I'm talking about we as the great, greater collective of people. Uh, where do we go to to fairly compensate the creators while still leaving room for because we still want to get comic books and have other writers write these characters, correct? Right. Yeah. We still want to have new stories. So it's a very, very fine line to have the I mean the creators compensated while at the same time new creators taking those things and going forward with them. Yeah. But because again, that's I, essentially how someone like Brubaker created the Winter Soldier in the first place. Yeah. By taking a pre-existing idea and creating something new. Yeah. And it's such a rarity in some ways for that to be successful uh, that you really want, at some point, you, you want creators to be rewarded for doing it well. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I think it, it comes down to the closest I'm going to have to a measurable opinion, I think, is that um, there is part of me... Uh, that feels without any kind of legal expertise, but just personal opinion, let's say, that visual artists 
I think maybe getting hosed a little bit here. And, you know, I would like to see visual artists have a stronger ownership of their original works, like the actual piece of paper or you know what I mean? It's like the actual created piece that right. it sat at their desk and created. The, the lines that are put together to create an image, yeah. be it on a piece of paper or on a, uh, on a screen. It would be nice to see that be retained in some way as a thing that said artists can then market, whether it be digitally or selling at a gallery or what have you without dc marvel image i don't i don't know if you've had that problem with image because the creators own all their work at image yeah but it, at the various places let let the places have the finished product and be able to market or license out those images in a way that contractually is fair but the actual original piece maybe should stay in the hands of the person that created it i don't know again i think obviously there are many legal issues and contracts everybody's contract is different right yeah but plus plus there are copyright and trademark issues that Mm -hmm. go along with that and then you got things like you know so marvel takes a piece of art and then uses it in an advertising campaign the creator should the person who drew that piece of art should get a piece of that pie Un, and, unless they signed away yeah, that exactly. part of it yeah and i you know and maybe maybe now with this coming into play artists will be looking more closely at their contracts and we'll have lawyers looking more closely at the contract you know can marvel and dc afford not to have some of the top artists in the business working on their books because the artists are like nope you know we're going image or boom or wherever bye-bye i don't have a i don't have an answer i just i just wish every (laughs) i just wish artists were treated uh were treated fairly and given the the respect that they deserve and that is a non-fungible opinion all right i hope that was interesting but i just hope that we were able to muddy the water a little bit more absolutely uh speaking of muddy waters I don't know. I don't. I was, I was looking for a transition. That's not going to happen. Is this a Chicago uh, thing? Exactly. Uh, so let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, teenage superheroes. All right. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside. For when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on thelongboxcrusade.com and check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. And we're back. Ryan, today is your recommendation. Tell us what it's all about. Okay. Invincible is a long-running comic book series written by Robert Kirkman and illustrated by Corey Walker and Ryan Otley, respectively. Published by Image Comics as a flagship in their superhero branding, the series ran through 144 issues. 
The series began as a bright and shiny, almost innocent play on superheroics, but quickly turned very dark and violent with numerous twists and subversions, culminating in a finale that might not have been true to the expectation of folks hoping for something more innocent. The first 13 issues of the series, for our purposes here, hint slowly at the turn of tone, with an extended intro that shows a young hero, Mark Grayson, coming into his powers, shown as inevitable, and his reconciling these abilities with his life as a high schooler, who is juggling a part-time job, relationship woes, and a very intriguing family dynamic. This is almost reminiscent of a certain other young man who had an issue with spiders? But things turn sinister quickly. A profoundly serious case of daddy issues comes roaring into the forefront with tragic consequences. And that sets up an entire tonal shift that dominates the future 131 issues. This comic serves as an introduction of sorts and works within a larger narrative. Taken as a singular piece, there are moments of disorientation as we assume a through line that quickly disintegrates. Kirkman fools us, but at the same time gives us a brief respite and a modicum of comfort comics a bait-and-switch at once nostalgic and very contemporary, for good or ill. Trust nothing, believe everything. So, Paul, I recommended this, obviously, which we've already stated. Uh, so, do you have any initial thoughts and feelings? Mm -hmm. I think you do. Well, I want to say, first off, that this is very much okay. Uh, and I'll clarify that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think this comic is very entertaining. I liked it. And there are some elements that I find very interesting, very clever. And I want to, you know, deep dive into those as we go along. But overall, I'm just left with the impression that there's something missing. Not, you know, it's good, but it's not great. Okay. All right. Uh, and I, I think the reason for that, and this might be unfair of me to do, but I keep comparing it to other things we've done. I mean, we just did Black Hammer and we've done Astro City and Squadron Supreme. And those are kind of intricate deconstructions and examinations of superhero storytelling. And Invincible just, Invincible just seems content to tell a fun superhero story with a little bit of violence added mm -hmm. to it. A little and, bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and let me be clear, that's perfectly okay. This book is under no obligation to do anything more than just tell an entertaining story. This right. might just be me being a pretentious douche. So, <laughs> <laughs> which I am, I am very capable of doing. Uh, so Brian, I think your goal for this episode is to convince me that Invincible is something more and I missed something. Go. <laughs> well, I, I'm not actually certain that that is what I necessarily want to do. And I, I'm, I'm not certain that I disagree with you. So we, we, we may have a conflict in that we don't super disagree. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, this one was, uh, this recommendation was a little weird for me because uh, normally you're more topical than I am in selection. So I kind of felt like with the show coming up, I was like, hey, it's my turn to be topical. And that said, this is a series that I really enjoy in many ways. I think the problem with a series that lasts as long as this did, that we run into, and we've run into this problem with a series in the past where we pick the introductory arc because it's the introductory arc with the knowledge that things get better <laughs> down the line. Right. Um, 
your feeling about whether it gets better or not may differ because I know you've been reading ahead a bit and that's fair. I think it does. I think it goes into some very interesting territories. But to your initial point uh, where we have been doing, and you are correct, we, we have been doing a lot of kind of what one could be, could consider deconstructionist type uh, superhero comics. And I don't think this is that. So no. that maybe one initial quibble is, and I think Kirkman has said, or I don't want to misquote him here, but I, I think he did want to write a fun superhero comic. Which he did. I, I don't think he was trying to reinvent or make any broad statements on the nature of superhero comics with this book, particularly at the start. One could argue as it progresses that his intent changed, but uh, on a non-deconstructionist reading, which I know is odd for me. I know, I was gonna say, <laughs> how can that be? <laughs> um, on the surface, it, it is, now, do, does he include some running gags? There's a lot of running gags. Yes. Uh, and there's some wonderful visual gags that may not even have been Kirkman's doing. There are definitely running gags, but I don't think they're done in a manner that is meant to overthink the medium. Well, maybe that's it. And again, that's perfectly okay. I just, if you're going to do a Justice League pastiche, you would think there would be something more to it than just kind of telling a Justice League story. And he didn't. He just told a superhero story. That's right. And again, that's fine. It's very entertaining. <laughs> it's just it. I, I don't really know where my hesitation is, other than I just. I guess I was. You know what it is. I think I find Kirkman's writing sort of bland. Uh, again, not bad. He has great ideas. He has really good instincts, but his execution is just sort of okay. I mean, I have well, the yeah. same. I have the same issues with Walking Dead. Honestly, mm -hmm. yes, and and uh, even especially his more corporate writings too. It, uh, yeah, his his foray into well, I guess he only wrote he didn't write for DC at any point, but no, his foray into Marvel, which was short lived. Most of that stuff is pretty forgettable. Yeah, so I said I kind of I find his and we and we'll get into this when we talk about the story, but I I kind of find his dialogue kind of stilted and. Um, the characters are, are almost emotionally detached, you know, like there's, there's these big things happening and they're just sort of like, eh. <laughs> like, I mean, okay, I'm going to jump all the way to the end, but we'll, okay. we'll get, we'll get there. But when we find out that Omni-Man, Mark's father, uh, and by the way, spoilers, I guess, he, he, this man whom he adores and respects and he loves, they find, you find out he's a mass murderer intent on enslaving and destroying the earth. And Mark's reaction is, Hey, I'm kind of bummed. Dude, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I think his reaction was a little, I mean, you have an entire issue they, they fight. Of, of them fighting and yelling at each other. So I'm not sure that Well, that... The, no, but the react, but the when everything is resolved and, and Omni-Man is left, he wakes up in the military in, in S.H.I.E.L.D. He wakes up at S.H.I.E.L.D. And yeah, he wakes up and he just sort of gets on with his life. Well, there is, and to your point, there is, a, and see, I took this as more humorous than anything. Uh, to your point, like in that episode or in that issue, uh, there's 
you know, the Nick Fury or not Nick Fury, yeah. uh, you know, the, uh, the, the secretive agent who is, uh, you know, basically saying you're going <laughs> to be now. A secretive agent. I'm yes. not telling you anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when he kind of goes over the, uh, like all the benefits that he's going to get now that his father is off the table and he's taking on the mantle. Right. And, yeah. and he does. Mark Grayson is, is like, Oh, groove. You know, he's kind of like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll just do that. <laughs> shall I? And then the guy's like, but there's a catch. And he's like, Oh darn. I knew there was going to be a catch. <laughs> it, it is to, to your point. It's sort of like, well, the catch is that your father was in, in, in an intergalactic mass murder, not just a mass murder on earth but an intergalactic mass murder. And, you know, he's bummed because there's a catch. It's like, right. that, that's the catch, kid. The catch is that your father is a supervillain <laughs> who has killed literal billions of people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that makes me upset. Oh, yeah, you should be more than upset right now. <laughs> yeah. I think his mom's reaction is uh, obviously a little more, more interesting. And, and we see that going forward. Yeah, which is yeah. not covered in and we're not talking about future issues so yeah. no but you know to to your point how the story does progress and get deeper as it goes along and i do like the idea of it being in real time there's no sliding time scale here right. everyone ages and the story progresses linearly the other thing the other defense i will have on that and there are other parts of it i'll defend and there are definitely parts of it that i will 100% agree with you on is he he is 17 I think in this I, I believe 16 or 17 I, I can't remember if he's actually named I mean we know he's looking at colleges well he's a senior in high school I believe right so he yeah. could be I was 17 when I graduated but other people were 18 and yeah, I was 18 assuming, when I graduated but that I'm was assuming, just yeah I assume he wasn't held back so at any point so we're we're looking at 17 or 18 years old so I think sometimes, do I think Robert Kirkman can write young kids really well? No, not not really. I mean, mm. it's, but at the same time, there is a disconnect, uh, like in terms of how someone that age is going to react versus how someone older is going to react. And I know I referenced Spider-Man and I, the parallels are on, are completely and utterly intentional. But oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have, you know, and that doesn't bother me at all. reaction to things, if we went back and really read through that, are probably not what we would consider overly realistic. Well, uh, yeah. At the same time as comics and nothing is realistic. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, mean, if, I mean, if you go back to the original Spider-Man, at least, I mean, he was a teenager written by a middle-aged man and it wasn't a really, um, wasn't a real uh, realistic depiction of teenagers. Yeah. You know, um, and at some point... Uh, you know, we want to be careful. I, at least for me, I think there is a care put in that. I don't think, again, I can't speak for him, but it seemed like the, the intent was not to turn this into a big, uh, you know, emo story either. I mean, again, it's, yeah. he's, the, the action needs to move forward. It needs to have, you know, and on, we, we just can't have pages of moping and, uh, no, no. And, and dialogue that just, uh, I mean, at the same time, you're going for a more realistic version of what it would be like to be a superhero, to be a kid growing up as a superhero. And there is a certain amount of, uh, I don't know, detachment that one would feel 
when you find out your dad kills lots of people. Right. You know. So anyway, and again, this is a this is a minor yeah. quibble. Well, no, but it's it's I don't think it's a minor quibble. I think it's a legit quibble because you know the the, the story could have gone differently. In there, there are many different ways the story could have gone, and so what you had expected wouldn't necessarily be like a, a long you know emo sequence, but you wanted something more. Like you you talked about emotional detachment, mm-hmm. and I think that's a legit. Uh, quibble i don't think it's a quibble i think it's a legit argument you wanted something more from the story that the story didn't give you so you know at the end of the day that's that's how we read whether it be comics or poetry or novels or you know what have you if 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 the story isn't giving you what you want the story doesn't have to give you what you want but you are also not obliged to enjoy it if it doesn't give you what you want and again i you know Again, maybe it's not right to compare these things, but like we just did Black Hammer and there are characters going through a lot of trauma and you've, I, you know, every single one of them, I feel what they're going through. Done really well. Done really well. And I, you know, am invested in, in who they are and what their story is going to be. In this, it's fun watching uh, Invincible get up to some hijinks, but I'm not really invested in who he is. If that makes sense. And do you right? And do you feel reading this um, again? We'll we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the uh, story here shortly. But uh, do you feel that? Uh, how do I put this? Do you feel any uh, enough investment to continue reading, or does this leave you so cold that I know you read ahead, but did you just read ahead out of? curiosity or did did any of this like have you reading ahead to see if your expectations or your enjoyment would change with further plot um i'm interested enough to see what happens i'm interested in the story you know as as a story just to say okay well there there was an interesting like omni man takes the heel turn towards the end uh, of these issues that we've read and you know that's intriguing enough to that, that i would keep going but i can't say that i I really like this invincible guy. No, so as a story, yeah, I'd like to see what happens. Um, Again, it's not bad. It's not like, oh, I hate this and I want to just throw it down. Right. It's good. This this isn't uh, your Frank Miller moment. Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're never going to let me live that down. But um, yeah, so this, I mean, it's a good enough story that I want to see what happens, but it's not a good enough story that it's going to be essential reading okay that makes sense yeah no it makes perfect sense okay yeah so so to me i i enjoyed it obviously a lot more than you did but at the same time is this you know i've read the whole series and i was i was reading it as it was going and it intrigued me enough that uh i kept collecting it not just uh have the next issue so i could have you know, my long box full of Invincible. But I you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's intriguing. And yeah. there are some things, we're going to get into it as we talk about the story. There are some things in it that I find that I, you know, legitimately said, oh, that's really clever. I, I might have said that uh, that Kirkman's writing is bland, but it's not, <sighs> bland is, is the wrong word. Dialogue that you it's, find... di- it's his dialogue that I just find like, Because eh. <laughs> his, his plotting can sometimes be really intriguing. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Thank you for clarifying my <laughs> clarifying my thoughts. <laughs> right. uh, uh, yeah, the story 
and his plotting are really clever and interesting, but the execution of it, especially just the, when, when it's just two people talking, I'm just like, okay, let's get on with it. You it know? gets a little, there's a little bendiciness to it. Mm-hmm. But there's also a very funny reference, uh, a little bit to that. Um, one of my favorite issues is, is, and one of my favorite scenes, at least in the first 13 comics, is uh, uh, is when he goes to the comic book store. Oh, I was going to mention that. This is great. That's one of the yeah. very clever things. Continue. Right. And there's there's numerous humorous things. There's, there's numerous funny things that happens when he goes to the comic book store. Th- this is uh, just a, a random you know scene. It's from the... Uh, from that visual of people standing in line to get their book signed. And, you know, it's, it's kind of visually some of the typical, what you would consider comic book guys standing in line. And then at the end of the line is this tall statuesque young woman. (laughs) And there's just this great scene where the, the guy in front of her is looking back at her, like he can't figure that out. (laughs) And it's just, it's one panel. Yeah. Completely yeah. gloss over, but the best part of it is when he finally meets the artist of his favorite comic, Science Dog, and the uh, the artist says that he 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 admits that he reuses paddles, reuses artwork over and over again, knowing that the reader's not going to notice. Right, and followed, there's a, followed and by that, several panels of the same. <laughs> it's the same, yes, followed by several panels of the same picture. It's like, don't you think that's you know? I forget what he says. Does he think that's unethical? And there's several paddles of the same thing. And then the artist, the artist says, no, I don't, I don't think that's a problem at all. Yeah, no, not really. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonder. It's, it's a very funny uh, self-referential thing, not just to, um, because I think that it may be in reference to the first artist as well. Um, and I, don't quote me on that, but because this is after the artist switch. So, but you know, there's numerous times in this comic where they do exactly that. Yes. And once he draws, you know, it's hanging a lampshade on it. Mm-hmm. So once you, you, he tells us about it, you, you begin to see it throughout the, throughout the comic of panels being used again, used in interesting ways, mind right. you. Right. But you also see like, you know, Charlie Brown makes several appearances in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always kind of, and, and if you really, I mean, if you really pay attention to the backgrounds, again, this is more, I think, the artist and Kirkman, but there's a whole world going on in the background of the comics. Yes, there's a lot of visual gags that are going on. Anyway, to, uh, I didn't really cover the plot much in the, in the intro. Uh, the plot is kind of basic, um, mm-hmm. which I think maybe some of your, cause some of your disinterest. Uh, so it, Essentially, like within the first three or four pages, uh, this kid, Mark Grayson, gets his powers. He reaches and a certain age and the powers begin to manifest themselves. Right. He's working a part-time job and he goes to take the trash out from <laughs> his part-time yeah. job and he goes to throw it in the uh, throw it in the trash and it ends up just flying off. Basically into orbit. <laughs> orbit. Uh, like 10, 10 issues later, <laughs> the trash bag shows up. Right. In England, in just this one-page little bit where some guy in England is walking his dog and finds the trash bag. Apropos of nothing else to the rest of the issue. No, again, it, a, 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 very, a very funny visual gag. I think that was clever. So, but Mark Grayson, he, he does this, and, and he's just sort of like, again, keeping with uh, what you said about the emotional detachment uh, of some sort, he's kind of like, oh, neat, here it is. 
Yeah. Like yeah. he's he's been waiting for this moment and he has. Uh, yeah, but you would think, you know, I've been waiting to become a superhero all my life and then it finally happens and oh good. Yeah, yeah. but then a few, you know, again in that issue like um a few pages later he flies and that's extremely exciting to him. Way more exciting than the, you know, throwing the trash. Yeah, true. Which I would be way more excited about flying than I would be about taking the trash out. Really? I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. Of course you would be. Uh, so but uh, it, it does yeah. show the, the super strength. He's sort of like, oh, well, here it is. Finally, you know, it's and, you know, he's waiting for it. But it's that moment where he's like, wait a minute, I can fly. And then he does it. And it's, it's you know, he's it's an incredible moment for him. Yeah, no, that's that's true. It's valid. Yeah. And I do like as far as the. Um, I'm going to backtrack on my own opinions. Uh, so the casual nature of the superheroing within the family, I do like that aspect. Where, yeah. You know, it's just the dad's job. And they talk about, ah, oh, he'll be late for dinner because he's working overtime, you know, that sort of thing. And he's really just out battling evil. Saving the world. Yeah. And I like the way he just kind of whooshes in like nothing happened and he joins the family for dinner and, and so forth. Well, how was your day? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, everything's just sort of no big deal. That's actually... Uh, that everydayness is is refreshing. Yeah, and yeah. I think the mom is one of the most interesting characters. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I like the fact that there's no drama or familial angst because you know in other comic books they'll be it would I would be made a big deal out of like I can't yeah. believe you you missed our anniversary that sort of thing. But there's Whereas, there, there's no extended scenes of people sitting around worrying, at least not in the beginning. And I you know it, it just as you know anecdotally, when I grew up, my my dad was a cop. So I can totally relate to that sort of uh, feeling because whenever he was on the job, there was always this unspoken feeling that, you know, something bad could happen, but it was just something, it, it became routine. So anyway, I appreciate that everydayness of superheroing. Right. Okay. And I think that's what the comic does really well. Cause I think the actual, there is, there is a kind of flatness, mm -hmm. uh, not just emotionally, but just a flatness to the first several issues. And again, I don't want to, read too much into that but it feels you know that first issue is all just in the space of one issue he gets his powers he gets a costume and he gets a name and it's all done pretty bang 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 there's a pacing to this these issues that i think is one could read as rather too flat or intentional to build sort of a false sense of you know, oh, well, this is just a flat superhero comic. It's just fun. He's going to like team up with these people and he's going to fight crime and we're going to have some, you know, romance or whatever. Yeah, and we're kept, we're, and, yeah. Right. And we're kept very surface. And the second issue is basically the origin story. Well, the first origin story of, of his dad which turns right. out to be completely false. But of course, his dad is, you know, is telling him as a kid, he's like, you know, you're, I'm from Viltrum and, you know, we. Viltrum. Which I believe is a cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, when we, when we sell our individual uh, episodes of the podcast, we'll, we'll, we'll get paid in Viltrums. So, you know, we get this kind of very broad origin story. And, and again, in keeping with your point, you know, the kids, after dad gets through all this and he's been playing with like a the kid, Mark has been playing with a superhero character like the whole time. And he's much younger. And, and I think he says, you know, neat or something. Do I get to fly? 
Yeah, I, uh, and that—that's his entire response. Oh, dad is uh, dad is Omni Man. When you frame it that way, that it's intentionally bland in order for so when the heel turn comes for mm-hmm. Omni Man, it's more of a shocking. So it was it was done intentionally. I mean that that's how I read it. Okay, and, no, I could yeah, I can see that. And there's part of me so it was hard for me to remember like the first time I read it did the heel turn as we, you know, did, did that surprise me at the time I read it? I think so. It certainly didn't now because I knew it was coming. And of course I'm reading all this and I'm looking for signs and there are a few, the mustache should have been the first sign. Well, yeah. I mean, come on, you know, look at that mustache. I mean, that, that does not scream good guy. Superman doesn't have a mustache. So you all know, villains have mustaches. Well, not all villains have mustaches. But Hashtag. all mustaches are villains. Hashtag not all mustaches, man. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a Groucho Marx mustache. That's true. It is. I mean, it just looks like a piece of tape, electrical tape. Yeah, um, it's a comb. That- you know how someone puts a like a, a a comb over their underneath their nose to simulate a mustache. Yeah, that's what it well, is. And, and everybody on this planet has the same mustache. Oh man, I actually thought that was pretty funny. Again, it's these little things. It's these little, but there there are other signs. So again, back to the basic story and and to get to the signs. And so eventually, he meets up with a group of teen teen uh, superheroes called the Teen Team. The Teen Team. They're they're Titans in there, right? Yeah. Yes. And again, one of the kind of I thought. The humorous, uh, it, it's very interesting that the the teen team, their names are pretty funny and kind of creative, whereas when we get to the, the Global Guardians, their names are very bland. You know, I mean, Duplicate. Duplicate. And, Rex uh, Slode. <laughs> Adam Eve. I mean, you know. Yeah. It, I, I, I actually really like that the robot Gordon. character is just called Robot. Robot, right. Yeah. yeah. And is actually the creepiest looking Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's very gimp mask esque. Uh, you know, so he meets up and he he doesn't join the team, and that's one of the running things is like he he never joins up with anybody because he's too busy at school and with his part time job. Numerous other things happen there. Each issue works as these standalone issues that feel kind of weird sometimes. And and again, it's like, what does this Black Samson stuff mean? You know, what it, there's, you know, there's a character named Black Samson who has lost his powers. He's supposed to get a new suit. Someone steals the suit. It turns out it's his butler who looks like Alfred. And his butler is mad because Black Samson was kicked out of the Global Guardians because he didn't have his powers anymore. Again, it's not, this isn't, it's important to the plot. It's not really important to the plot. You know, it's there's all these kind of these issues feel a little random until you start to see the bigger pieces fall into place. But at some point, you know, Mark Grayson is he's learning how to be a superhero. There's a lot of interpersonal things with his friends at school, um, humorous bits about his best friend's first name, William. Did you find that humorous? Not really. I thought it was kind of just weird. And and... it is, it's weird. It was, but I I, I think it's an attempt to give the best friend some character, you know, oh, well, I'm William, not, you know, and he gets, yeah. But then he just gets mad every time he says, should I call you Bill? Yeah. 
the same time, who does that, right? I mean, who, you know, if I introduce myself, someone doesn't ask me, you know, oh, I'm Brian, you know, does someone say, well, can I call you Bry? And I don't think I've ever met someone who introduced themselves as William. I don't think I ever said to them, oh, can I just call you Bill or Will? So, yeah, no, it was just, it just felt a little awkward and, and clunky. I guess we should, all right, just going to throw this out there. It was a one-off thing, but I just kind of cringed. When he flies William, when Mark flies William, he says, oh, this is so gay. Yeah. I was like, eh, that didn't age well. No, did not age well. And I, I, I think it improves down the line as, but yeah, it was that, again, it's, this is the type of stuff we, we get sometimes where. I know it was supposed to be a joke, but it's, yeah, again, clunky. Yeah. I think William is written very clunkily, just in general. Yes. Um, you mean, you mean Bill? Bill. Yeah. Will. Will. <laughs> so all of this is kind of, there's an introduction of various characters. There's an introduction of various situations that help define him as a teenager and work within building him up um, as a superhero. And, and then we get to the big sort of, uh, there's, there's another, there's a, a the weird point. Uh, so one of the early plots is, somebody is putting bombs, strapping bombs onto high school students and then blow so that they blow up in public places. And it turns out to be the, uh, uh, one of the professors. And that's, um, that's very dark. That was, that was the first indication of, okay, this is going to have a little bit of an edge to it. Yes. And also, so at some point, Invincible, Mark Grayson, they figure all this out and, you know, he, the, the professor has a bomb strapped to himself and he says, I'm going to blow up. So Invincible, you know, flies him off somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and then just throws him off so that the guy explodes. I mean, it's, it's, there was nothing else for him to do, right? I mean, but he, he just basically caused the, he, someone died, right? And he was part of the, I'm not going to go into the ethics of whether, you know, well, you know, the well, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, but... Uh, if, if I was involved somehow in someone dying, I might have reacted in some way other than like, he's just like, oh, well, you know, and then, then he goes home to the dinner table and, you know, how was your day? Well, I did blah, 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 and then I threw him off and he died. There's no, there was no... Um, yeah, and the mom didn't say, oh my God, you just killed somebody. My, my 18-year-old son, 17, 18-year-old son, had his first kill. Yeah, so that's, you know, so that's the, the disjointed, right. uh, kind of that's detached that, feeling. But that is started against when you start to see some of the, the darker elements come in. And of course, that really comes into play when we see the uh, Global Guardians um, ruthlessly murdered. Well, and for, and it actually, uh, Immortal Man, who kind of like has a Hercules sort of feel to right. him. At one point, there's, I forget what his name is, but it's- I never it, liked you. Well, no, no, there's a, he's, so they're all getting calls to come back to the, back to the guardian lair. And you see Immortal man dealing with a, a, a villain who, you know, who's got to destroy Denver, actually. Mm -hmm. My, my town. I'm glad you made it. Yes. Thank you. So Immortal man just takes the guy and throws him into orbit. Yeah. Is that, you know, no screw it around. Like later when we it, actually it, see him. Great quote is he says, when in doubt, throw them into space. <laughs> exactly. So, but. It's it's kind of paralleling exactly what Invincible did. Mm -hmm. You kind of get the feeling of, you know, that's sort of standard practice. 
<laughs> right. It's and it, there is actually a lot of throwing people into space uh, right. down the line. But yeah. um, I, I do want to say that the well, oh, go ahead. I was going to say there's a, there's another good visual gag when all the guardians are being called in. They're all doing something heroic, except for the Aquaman analog who's just sort of sitting there waiting. Oh yeah, and I wanted to yeah. Oh, finally something to do. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to point out, and people can correct me if I'm wrong. I, I tried to go back and see if I could find it. All of the other heroes are named, you know, Darkwing, Red Rush, War Woman, etc. The Aquaman guy doesn't have a name. Really? Yeah. I didn't I didn't notice that. Again, I tried to I tried to look for it to see if I could get a name and because he shows up at a few times in some flashbacks or whatever, too. And there's no there's no name. <laughs> which is yeah. which is if that maintains to be true and i didn't miss it somewhere that just makes it even funnier it is funnier but come on because you know, aquaman's whole, not getting any aquaman it's the whole get any aquaman joke it's the whole aquaman joke you know again you know because he's not doing anything but sitting underwater on his throne and he doesn't even get a name yeah that that is, I, I did laugh when i saw that it's just several panels of him sitting there bored <laughs> Until his uh, until his beeper goes off, it's like oh thank goodness. <laughs> so uh, eventually they're all called in, and uh, then they get brutally murdered. And then the immortal looks and says, "I never liked you anyway." You know, oh it's you. I never liked you anyway. And of course, it turns out that it's Omni Man. So that there's your heel turn. I mean, we see I, this. I, we, I can't say that of... I was shocked by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was. It, it's it's a surprise. Right. But I was just like, huh, that's too bad. Yeah. I was really enjoying the uh, the father son relationship. Yeah, they went and played baseball like in the they sky. played another okay another good visual gag. They're playing catch around the world. Yeah, so they're back to back and they're throwing they're throwing a baseball, but away from each other so that it goes all the way around the world and back and then all mm-hmm. the way around and that's all right. That's funny. Right, <laughs> that's good. Oh. And it was and I liked that dynamic that was going on. Yeah, I mean, but there is also. Um, some of that dynamic, it's like you can kind of see where you should have noticed something right. There's so we're introduced to Alan the alien. His appearances are very few and far between, but you obviously get this idea that he's going to be important down the line. But uh, the whole setup with Alan the alien is that uh, he shows up every year to fight uh, Omni Man, but they're not really fighting. It's he's just being tested. It's a, it's a protector assessment, right? Protector assessment. It turns out he's been going to the wrong planet. <laughs> there was a typo in his, it's, yeah, in his report or whatever. In his report, and you know, he and Invincible just kind of sit down and chat, and they figure it all out. So Omni Man thinks he's just a guy that keeps showing up every year to try to attack Earth. He doesn't realize that he's being tested, mm-hmm. and so when Invincible returns to the family dinner table to talk about his day, and he talks about Alan the alien and whatever. His dad gets a little mad. He didn't figure it out, and that Mark didn't. There, there's, there's a couple panels with a, a an odd look on his face that I think is a bit uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, in hindsight, that is true. I just took, you know, at the time, I just took it as, oh, he's a little bit. Uh, he thinks he's top dog, and that right. here's his son, you know, outthinking him, right. essentially. And that he got duped a little bit. And yeah, there's another little. Uh, I just sorry to cut you off there. There's a there's a, another visual gag of Alan the alien, basically fighting the TNG crew. Right. Well, no, he's rescuing them. Or he's rescuing them. That's what he's doing. I just think that was very funny. 
the next yeah, generation yeah. is is canon and invincible. <laughs> and that's a couple issues later, and it, it he literally just shows up and saves them, and then we don't see him again for <laughs> the rest. Of, you know, it it it's apropos of nothing. It seems like I it comes back later, but again, it's like you're sort of like he just shows up, rescues the next generation crew, kind of shakes his head, thinking they're incompetent, and you know. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. No. It was, a, it was a fun. It was a fun gag. Like yeah. this. This series is littered with that sort of thing. Right. And there's there's several other. There's a uh, Rorschach, Damien Darkblood, Demon Detective, who yeah. first appears in like the first issue. You never see him from the front. It's just from the back, and he's he looks like Rorschach, and he herms a lot. He's trying to solve the mystery of uh, of the uh, the the murder of the Global Guardians. And uh, eventually, like, we see the front of him and he's like some kind of monkey. Yeah, he's got a gorilla face. Uh, So, I mean, and and then at some point he also, uh, during the investigation, he runs into the the powers. Again, you know. Yeah, and there's kind of a crossover thing going on because Savage Dragon shows up at one point at the funeral. Well, Savage Dragon, the funeral for the Global Guardians, it's it's like a whole bunch of characters from Image. Yeah, Uh, Savage Dragon. Savage Dragon is the most recognizable. It's the one we all kind of know, even if we don't read. Well, the, he's a green man with a fin on his head, so it's pretty easy to see. Stands out, but there's a lot of other of the uh, sort of image superheroes in in that crowd. All of this kind of leads up. There's there's some jockeying about. There's robot is put in charge of the Global Guardians, and there's a whole tryout episode which doesn't seem to have a lot to do with anything. It, it does, but it doesn't here. And you're, you, you know, I, I get like, this is where I can see your quibbles where you're like reading this going, what does this mean? This doesn't have anything to do with anything. We just spent an entire issue watching a generic comic book trope of people trying out for a superhero team. And that's kind of legit because, you know, we do get introduced to a new character who's going to be pretty interesting down the line in Monster Girl. Yeah, and she is. She's she's very interesting. And and that's what I get back to that, you know, Kirkman has great ideas and and, um, and he's able to he's able to create this world. I, I mean, a, a believable and intriguing world. And he populates it with with really on the surface, very interesting characters. Yeah, I just like I, I read it and was just like, OK, that happened. I think and I get, to, and I get that I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know what happens, a hundred issues down the line, yeah. and how it all ties in. So, I, so it's maybe not right for me to. But at the same time, not it's fair like, of me to do that. It's, a, it's a legitimate response because you know, again, it's like the question I asked you earlier: Does this make you want to read 131 more issues? And that's a legit question. Does Kirkman do his job? with this because we're just talking about these 13 issues we're not talking Mm -hmm. about the entire run so you know we have to take these 13 issues as 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 the base and uh so that said i at the risk of going into just rehashing more parts of the plot uh i think we should just let's just move ahead and with the big moment which is when a mortal comes back to life and gets killed again by Omni-Man and this is when Omni-Man confesses all and this is witnessed by Invincible which leads to a comic and a half of some of the most violent and brutal 
action sequences I have seen in, I'm going to call this a mainstream comic. Oh, it's definitely a mainstream comic for sure. Uh, I mean, this goes from light and airy to massively disturbing, particularly the level of innocent life that's being taken in this fight sequence and the horrendously brutal beatdown. Yeah, this is this is Man of Steel level of destruction. I don't don't mean the movie Man of Steel. Right. Yeah, I mean it. It's very impactful. But other than, I mean, it all felt that sequence that felt brutal. But at the same time, it was integral to the plot. He, you get to see the 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 level of of hatred that Omni Man actually has. Right. Uh, For Earth and for 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 even his own son. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I know that, you know, he flies away with one tear in his eye. So, you know, that that's going to come back, you know, right. His caring for his own son is going to come back. But at that moment, he was willing to put a beat down on his, his kid. And take thousands and thousands and thousands of lives across the world. Yeah. In the process and just the wanton nature of it to go back just briefly before this, we did get the real history of Viltrum, where they turn out to be a war. They're a warlike species that looks to subjugate other planets and use them for their own purposes. And so we know before this beatdown that uh, he is not on Earth. Omni-Man is not on Earth to protect Earth or to help Earth. He is there to destroy any resistance and to to soften up their defense. So soften up their defense and then uh, take over, take over the planet. His heel turn is shown in the second origin, which visually just kind of mimics the first origin, but with the, with the truth about uh, who he is and, and whatnot. And of course, you know, one of the, during this massive fight, I think one of the most, you know, disturbing parts of it, of course, is when Invincible is trying to say, but you love my mom, you, you know, how can you do this, et cetera. And Omni-Man says, your, your mother is little more than a pet. Yeah, that is kind of heartbreaking. But and then there's that moment when, you know, Omni-Man says, look, the older we get, the slower we age. So we're going to live for thousands of years. So don't get attached to any of these creatures on earth. Because mm-hmm. you're, you know, after thousands of years, what are you going to have? And Invincible says, well, I thought I would have you, which is, you know, that's a, that's a legitimately touching line. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Kirkman is capable in this series of showing some of that emotional depth that I'm, I think you were, you were concerned initially that wasn't really there. And while I think you're correct in some places, I think that it's not completely devoid. Yeah, yeah. I'm reassessing my feelings on this. But I don't think your feelings are wrong because I do agree that, you know, there's very much a part of this that is problematic in that it doesn't present itself as great comics. Right. Well, yeah. And I just, you know, Kirkman has his strengths and his weaknesses. And his strengths are really strong, but his weaknesses are, you know, pretty weak, to, to, to put it in the most bland way possible. You know, I, it's just, I think his weaknesses stand out in those early issues. I am, you know, to, to, to get back to, am I willing to keep going with this? Yes, I am. Because there's enough... There's enough good in this that I'm intrigued to find out what happens later. Yeah, uh, I just, you know, my opinion is this is good, but I'm not like overwhelmed over the moon about it. 
Yeah. And I think at some point, like a, the denouement, uh, the, the, the final, the 13th issue is, is basically like a bunch of like kind of cleaning up yeah. plot wise uh, to set up what's going forward. And I think that there are some interesting ideas being bandied out about, but there's also a whole lot of, we're just wrapping things up. Yeah. And it said, you know, it sets up a new status quo and it drops a couple of little hints, like everyone on earth is given, something's put in the water system to make us not see certain things, certain yeah. bands of light so they could hide a lot of behind the scenes things, which, you know, that, I mean, again, it's little, little ideas like that, that are being uh, sprinkled in that kind of say, Oh, I wonder where that goes. But then it ends, uh, you know, the whole thing ends with, uh, you know, well, what are you going to do now, Mark Grayson, Invincible? And his last line is like, well, finish high school, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is like, well, okay. Okay. That's good. Gonna... You go finish high school after being involved in a beating that destroyed thousands of and lives. And then he's going like, to get out of high school and he's going to get a job as a photographer for a large newspaper. <laughs> and marry the redhead that lives next door. Right. Or, yeah. well, he's got two redheads, right? It's, oh, that's true. Are they, are they both as Adam Eve is a redhead or it's hard to tell with the art. Anyway. Yeah. So overall, why did you recommend this comic? Is that a question you're asking for me to, that's going to be in the podcast and. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm trying to prompt you to, to wrap up and let's. <laughs> yes. okay. All right. So I'll ask that again. So overall, why did you recommend this comic? I and mean, what is, what do you think? is the, why should people go out and read this? Well, I don't want to tell anybody they should or shouldn't read <laughs> read it, but uh, for me, it's, you know, going back and reading these 13 issues after having spent years reading forward, you know, I, I thought it was kind of, I thought it was kind of fun to go back and sort of start at the beginning. And your, your concerns on the comic, I, I definitely see. And I definitely feel that it suffers in retrospect a little bit more than I had remembered. Uh, I do think there are really great moments in it. I think that there are interesting concepts that are left floating a bit without resolution that first time readers of this may have a hard time getting past without just reading this saying, what does this mean? Why is this like this? Why is this like like this other thing? And But at the end of the day, I think that the story is meant to be fun rather than a serious examination of superhero comics. And I think on that level, it succeeds mm -hmm. not as well as other better comics, but certainly better than some contemporary types of stories that I don't uh, necessarily enjoy as much as I enjoyed this one. Does that make uh, sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And not having the benefit of, of reading the entire series, there were, you know, there were some things that I found a little off-putting by it, but at the same time, it was intriguing enough and entertaining enough that I do, I am interested to know what happens down the line. Uh, and I'm interested to watch the the, the series that's coming out. Yeah, I'm series. actually, I'm wondering if this is going to work better. As, yeah, as an animated series. As an animated series. And that's, that's in a few days, of course, 
I think by the time this comes out, it will have already. Yeah, more than likely. I'm notoriously bad about getting things out on time. So, oh, but, by the uh, way, I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it, but I would much rather, this is light and airy and there is, you know, a, a level of, of, of fun and frivolity to it. Uh, like we talked about all the visual gags. I would much rather read this than read something like, say, The Boys. Right. You know, this I find fun and entertaining. Even if I have some concerns with the storytelling, it's still interesting enough that it, it will propel me forward. So, yeah, I do want to know what happens. I mean, it's it's probably something that's going to take me a while to get through, but not, 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 you know, it's not, it's not hard to read these comics. I mean, these, they read pretty quickly, actually. Yeah, it's not a difficult read. They're actually, yeah. Yeah. But I just have to, it has to get into the stack, as it were. Right. Yeah. Um, and you've got all your manga to catch up on. Yes. Listeners don't, uh, don't know that conversation that we had off air. <laughs> I'm reading a lot of manga now, by the way. Uh, but I want to say thank you for recommending me this because this is something that I've, you know, it's one of those comics that's always out there in the ether that is, is recommended by a lot of people. And it's always something that I've wanted to get to. And I finally did. So thanks. And it's bright and shiny. It is bright and shiny. And there is some funny the, stuff. We didn't talk about the art that much, but it's very bright and shiny. Yeah, but I, I, th- I think we kind of uh, made our uh, appreciation known of just <laughs> stuff that's happening in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Read or don't read? I say read. All right. Yes, definitely read. Me too. It's good. It's, <laughs> how did I phrase it before when we started this? It's overwhelmingly okay. <laughs> or something like that. So yeah, it's good. It's good. I, huh? you know, my personal expectations aside, it's just a good comic. Yeah. There you go. Neat. All right. Well, that all being said, uh, I believe uh, our next exciting adventure in podcasting will involve a comic rep recommended by you, Paul. And I am very interested in this mm. recommendation. Would you like to tell us about it? I sure would. <laughs> Next time on an all-new edition of the Collected Edition, we're going to read Godzilla, King of the Monsters. This, uh, this is the Marvel Comics run of Godzilla that ran for 24 issues from 1977 to 1979. And it's written by Doug Monk and drawn by Herb Trimpey. This this comic is a whirlwind of 1970s weirdness combined with kaiju craziness. And I'm not going to lie, this comic makes my inner eight-year-old go squee. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous, as only a 70s comic could be. Well, we will look forward to you squeeing. <laughs> it's internal, internal. I will be, it's an internal squee. I feel like that's a self-help book. Finding <laughs> yeah. your internal squee. <laughs> I dig your internal squee. Oh, man. So that's it. We're going to read Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Hooray. Hooray. Hey. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening. We, As always, we want your uh, comments and feedback. So please visit our website, collectededitionpodcast.com, where you can leave a comment on this very episode. Uh, and let us know uh, how you felt about Invincible, uh, how badly I got it wrong. and Or how badly I got it wrong. Or, yeah, either way. And tell us uh, how incredibly wrong we are about cryptocurrency and, and things like that. And non-fungibles. This is a non-fungible podcast. Uh, so anyway, in the, in the closing tag, you'll get all that uh, information on how to contact us. So until next time, keep reading comics.
and be well. You've been listening to The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast. The Collected Edition is a Daddy Elk production. All materials used on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. The show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at CollectedEditionPodcast.com, where comments can be left on individual episodes. You can also send us feedback at comments at CollectedEditionPodcast.com or on Twitter at CollectedEdPod. That's Collected, E-D-P-O-D. The Collected Edition, a comic book podcast, is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained?